This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we're visiting Hong Kong. And with us is a, uh, a wonderful commentator, a lawyer uh, in Hong Kong, uh, Pedrig Walsh. Pedrig, uh, thank you for joining us. Joe, thank you so much for inviting me back. I, I must be a special person. I'm a repeat visitor, so I'm delighted well, to join you today. Indeed you are, and you know, Hong Kong is front page news these days. Uh, you, you know, some some years you avoid that and just business goes on, but uh, this is front page news now with the national security law that the People's Republic of China has imposed and uh, all the reaction to it. But we're not here to talk about politics. We want to talk about what does this mean for data privacy and cybersecurity in Hong Kong, one of the great financial and uh, commercial centers of the world, of course, and, and since the uh, agreement between the United Kingdom and China, two systems, one country, we've all become quite familiar with that. So we really want to talk today about, okay, now there's this national security law that has to do with a certain subject. How does that affect data privacy and cybersecurity? And let me offer two extremes, and then I'm sure you'll tell me it's somewhere in between. But uh, one extreme is, well, it's replaced all Hong Kong law. Now everything uh, comes from Beijing. And the other as well, it's just business as usual. It really, uh, you know, it has to do with the police and so on, but nothing else. What's your view? Well, if, if I said it was somewhere in between, that would sound like sitting on a fence. And you know, lawyers <laughs> don't do that, Joe. Um, I, I, I actually think it's closer to the business as usual side of things rather than suddenly there is a transformative impact in respect of how law is applied generally in, in Hong Kong. What has happened is, is there is a, a change in uh, how the law is applied in respect of a particular area, which is national security issues. But for 99.9% .9 of the business that's transacted uh, in Hong Kong, uh, the kind of issues that will fall under national security uh, will will not really arise, uh, if, if, if at all, and if they do, it would be more like a black swan event. So if you look at the normal course of business, actually Hong Kong has got a, the same story as before, but also a developing and improving story around personal data privacy. And um, there are going to be changes. I mean, we've had probably the longest history in Asia in respect of a personal data privacy regime. one of the earliest laws. That's right. Dates back to 1996 when it was introduced, so even pre-handover days. Uh, and there are um, more changes afoot. So in the next 12 to 18 months, there is going to be uh, a raft of changes that the Privacy Commissioner has proposed and which should find its way into legislation. Things like mandatory data breach notifications, administrative fining powers, you know, GDPR light, uh, but it's still like closer to a GDPR standard. Uh, you would say. Uh, and it's it's not just for the financial sector or medical, it's, it's across the board as to data privacy. It's right. across the board. Yes, we, we, we don't take a sectoral approach. It's uh, it, and also government and public bodies are included in that. Uh, maybe maybe not the national security agencies, <laughs> but uh, all other government and public bodies are included. And that's that's also something that's rather unusual and beneficial if you look at Hong Kong as a personal data privacy regime. And I would guess, tell me if I'm wrong, that a company uh, in Hong Kong that uh, gets a request from the PRC authorities for financial data, or I don't know what it might be, this is something that happens in all countries. Uh, when, when any government is concerned, there's been a crime and we have to investigate. Uh, how would that actually work out? Would they, would they go to the Hong Kong courts? And, uh, you know, how, how do you foresee that? I know it hasn't happened yet, probably, but what would one expect? 
Well, let's let's parse out the different situations. Let's look at what would you might call an an ordinary course of business request. So there's a, a a financial crime. There's no particular national security associated with it, and then there's a request for disclosure that arises from that. That would be dealt uh, on the basis of an application being made through Hong Kong courts, and then really Hong if Kong. the Purely Hong Kong courts. So, it, for instance, if I, as a business owner in in Hong Kong, received a request from a PRC authority asking me to hand over documents, and as I said, national security issues apart, uh, I could, to all intents and purposes, ignore that order. It, it might cause issues if I've got local subsidiaries or operating entities in in, in China, or I'm doing things in China, but vis-a-vis -vis what I'm doing within the four corners of Hong Kong, I can, to all intents and purposes, ignore that because I would only respond to or act on a request either by the Hong Kong police and usually they would go to the Hong Kong courts to get whatever warrants they need. So it's it's a normal uh, judicial process that you would expect in probably exactly the same in the US. Oh, we see a great deal of that in the US. In the early days, uh, you know, some companies, uh, data companies were just turning their, uh, voluntarily turning information over to the government. And it doesn't happen anymore. Now it's a warrant and a court proceeding and what do you really need and all these things. So uh, th this is quite, let's talk about data localization for a minute. Now there's a big difference, as I understand it, between Hong Kong law, uh, whether you can export uh, data out of Hong Kong to share it with business partners and so on. And the Chinese law, which is very much, as I understand it, based on data localization. Uh, not, and China is not the only country that takes that approach. Uh, does the national security law affect that? Um, not especially in relation to that. Usually what the national security law addresses is that in respect of particular offenses under that law, which are national security type offenses, then it gives the police additional powers and authorities in order to be able to investigate those crimes. And then those crimes would come before uh, national security courts that have uh, that are in the course of being established. So, so in the sense of data transfers, that uh, hasn't really been affected by the national security law at all. And in Hong Kong, um, funnily enough, we have a section in the ordinance dating back to the original ordinance, uh, so section 33, way back to, uh, since uh, to, to 1996. And that has um, a similar adequacy type regime as you, you would see in other, in, in other places, except uh, that it's not in force. So to all intents and purposes, there's a degree of freedom in relation, a higher degree of freedom in relation to um, exports of personal data from uh, from Hong Kong to elsewhere. Now, you'd still have to go through, you know, making sure if it's a processing arrangement that you've got proper contractual measures in place to uh, manage your data processors, or if it's a data transfer that you're doing so in a way that is uh, consistent with the original consents and permissions you have from the data subject. But the mere fact of transferring the data out from Hong Kong to someplace else is there's no restriction on that, no statutory restriction on that. So in that sense, Hong Kong's following its very long tradition of sort of free trade, at least in terms of uh, the ability to put a server anywhere in the world, as long as you're following the, the rules about uh, Hong Kong data security. That's, that's what I'm hearing. That's right, yes. Yeah. Well, Chinese law, uh, I took a course in Chinese law in uh, 1972. Uh, it was the only course in the <laughs> United States from the only lawyer, made a lawyer in China by 
Mao Zedong, and it was really about uh, kind of state enterprise law and criminal law. It's quite interesting. But now there's a whole body of Chinese law. But would you say that Hong Kong law, which is much more based on, on its uh, tradition with the United Kingdom, and China, Chinese law are, are really quite different in, in what they mean. That sometimes Chinese laws are, are more like a, a speech in a way uh, that, that expresses a principle and then we see how it works out over time. Whereas Hong Kong laws, much more uh, tradition-based, much more ability to anticipate how a court might come out. Is, is there some truth to that? And do you see that continuing? Uh, there is uh, there's a lot of truth to that. In, in, in Hong Kong, it follows very much a, a common law style in which you have fairly precisely drafted legislation and a general principle that if the legislation doesn't uh, prohibit you doing something, then you can go ahead and you know uh, have freedom of operation outside the scope of that particular law. Um, and then you'd have a body of case law that helps to interpret those rules and give additional certainty and clarity to the rules. So very, very similar to what you would have in the US to, uh, to the UK and, and also other common law jurisdictions. Oftentimes in, uh, in mainland China, what you'll find is, is that the, uh, the initial law that's announced is almost like a framework set of principles. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the law only begins to make sense and to have coherence. Uh, when you have implementing regulations and when you have a body of practical experience that that supports and fill out fills out what those framework principles are so what that what usually results from that is is that in the early days you know for the first year or two when a new framework law is announced uh, there's a period of uncertainty because it hasn't really been bedded down and oftentimes even the provincial or, or local bodies that are implementing the, the framework law, they themselves don't know what's required because they're still working it out. That's, that's just usually how particularly significant laws are introduced and brought through uh, in mainland China. And, but, but Hong Kong has, has got a very, a very different way. So what you could anticipate in a traditional way is, is that if Hong Kong introduced a significant new type of law, maybe a new regulator for a new particular area or something of this nature. Um, usually they would have the uh, legislation on the books uh, in a reasonable amount of detail. And then they would have a period of time to allow you know, the business world to catch up with that, maybe uh, a year or, or, or shorter or longer than that. And then on a particular date, that law would come into force, but it would be fully enforced with you know clarity about how it's going to be interpreted with um, a, an administrative body that knew what it was doing in order to implement those rules guidelines announced and so on and so forth so it's it's quite a different model that way well Padraig, we're hearing mainly uh, business as usual with caution we'll see how things develop uh, if there's a national security element to data that that's going to be an issue uh, is in every country and a little different perhaps now, but I'm hearing uh, your advice uh, and your, your firm tender to its advice generally to, to businesses and people is not a whole lot has changed in the data privacy and cybersecurity world. Would that be the, the message by and large that you would give to clients and others? I think so. I, I, the way I would put it is, is nothing dramatic has happened that would say, okay, Hong Kong is no longer a safe place to hold your data. 
certainly the national security law for the preponderance of businesses is not going to be that kind of a transformative law that raises risk levels that way. For most businesses, it really will be something that, as I said, is going to be more of a black swan event. I mean, you know, if, if you thought about the background context, you, you know, this law was not introduced as a means of, uh, you know, fishing expeditions or to stop business being conducted within Hong Kong. If anything, it's, it's to try and uh, facilitate that rather than to, to, to thwart it. So, so it is really a business as usual approach. And China, let's just face it, has uh, a great advantage in having Hong Kong is within one country, but with two systems uh, where you can have a dollar or euro denominated accounts in Hong Kong and so on that you might not see in Beijing. So you're giving great hope for uh, uh, most, well, really all business and just uh, national security, something separate. Thank you for joining us, Padraig. Any last uh, uh, pearls of wisdom for the data privacy detective audience? Oh my word, that 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 raises <laughs> the bar far too high. Uh, I, I guess what I would leave people with the thought of is is to remember that Hong Kong's traditional role as a a free place to do business in connection with uh, particularly with business interests in North Asia. So uh, whether that be mainland China, China or other places in North Asia. And that role is is tried and tested, and nothing's really changed in respect of that role. It's still a good place to set up your regional headquarters if if that's where your your target markets are. Very good. Well, thanks again, Padraig. And remember, protecting your personal data begins with you.